We're with Scott from CrossBikeReview.com, right? Yes, sir. And tell me a little bit about your uh, website before we get into what you want to say today. Uh, sure, no problem. CrossBikeReview.com is a place where people can go and read about the latest cyclocross gear. So that can cover everything from bikes, tires, clothing, uh, nutritional supplements, and things like that. It's all specifically for the app and what we would use in the sport of cyclocross. So that's what we do. What's new in nutritional supplements, for example? You know, there's some exciting things coming out. There's two that are out there right now that uh, uh, we did one. It's uh, fluid. And what we've been focusing on, it, it's, it's really all about the recovery because when we go out and train as athletes or as cyclists, or it's that's when you don't get faster or stronger. It's all in the repair process. And so, um, one uh, one company is called Fluid, and I'm pulling up their stuff right now in our uh, whole shot. Uh, it is a total recovery drink that uh, gives you the, the things you need, so you can actually repair repair the body. Um, when you're done training, the things that you really need right away are, are carbohydrates and proteins because you got to uh, fill the, the glycogen stores and everything. And um, what we really liked about it is it has a lot of uh, a lot of studies behind it. It has uh, research behind it, what you really need and what your body doesn't need, and things like that. A lot of a lot of nutritional companies out there they just throw the kitchen sink and so. Our society and social institutions wonder as more is better, and that's not necessarily the, the case here. So this this uh, fluid, it doesn't contain any artificial ingredients or artificial colors or artificial flavors, gluten, lactose, or stimulants, um, basically nothing trendy or unhealthy. Um, it contains five elements of recovery to, uh, to help us recover. It has L-glutamine. Um, it has a good carbohydrate-protein ratio of 4 to 1, right in the middle of the range, um, which is, if you go and you research online, which you can, that's like right down the middle. Some some research says a little bit more, some says a little less, things like that. Um, it does use a whey protein isolate, easy to digest, no lactose or fat. That will actually slow the absorption. You know, it has a foundation carb complex and maltodextrin. You sold so, it. All right, so how, what's it called again? And, and It's called... It's called Fluid, and um, it's uh, the the MSRP on that's uh, thirty bucks. Their website is called LiveFluid.com. How many drinks do you get for thirty bucks? Um, the serving size on that thing. Let me look this up here. Uh, sixteen servings. Well, you get sixteen sixteen well, servings for that. There you go. Cool. And um, so, what else you got going on over there? You got uh, gear. Yeah, we got gear. We got uh, everybody's cross bikes are, are, are landing or have landed, and we're getting ready for uh, uh, interbike here. And so we've uh, we've reviewed a lot of uh, new bikes uh, that Chanelli Zydeco's in, the uh, Altamira from Fuji is in a six thousand dollar cross bike. Um, you know, we got um, is are cross bikes really uh, a, a type of bike that that manufacturers usually you know um, come out with their their Really expensive bikes. Uh, you know, that's that's an excellent question. You know, 15 years ago, you could have counted on one hand how many companies actually make a cross bike, 
And now it's just the opposite. You can actually count on one hand how many companies don't make a cross bike. And what I've been seeing in recent years is the trend that, you know, five years ago, the top cross bikes were $2,500. And now, you know, a couple of years ago, they were like $3,000. And now they're even pushing the envelope on that. So what does this you know, mean? Does this mean more, more people are doing cyclocross? Yes, more and more people are, are getting into cyclocross. It is a huge sport now. It's, it's uh, USA Cycling reports that it's the fastest growing segment outside of BMX in the cycling in the cycling world. It's so popular that at cyclocross nationals, when they register online, they crash the servers every year for the past three or four years, wow. and and it's just amazing. Even even they'll even break up the registration by age groups. So that like one night is only a couple of age groups, and the next night it's another age group, and things like that. it still crashes the server. They just can't, you know. It's like trying to put ten pounds of potatoes in a five pound sack. Can you describe what it is about these races that you think makes them so popular today? You know, I think it's 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 a lot of fun. Uh, you you get dirty, and you have to solve a lot of uh, problems, with a lot of finesse and skill. You know. 20 years ago in mountain biking, you didn't have suspension, and so um, it was really tough on the body, and suspension has come out, and so you can just roll over things. You can just roll over baby heads and rocks and logs and things like that. With this, you actually have to solve problems with finesse, and it's done on a short track, one to three kilometers in length, and it's in the fall, so there's mud. There's mud involved, and it's. I think it's the struggle, actually. The, the struggle to actually go out there and turn yourself inside out and compete with your friends and, and, and get dirty and have a really good time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know what? You're, you're making me want to go out and do it. I think I'm going to go do it. <laughs> it's, a, it's a lot of fun to come into a corner really, really hot and then you know lock your rear end up and turn the bike sideways and get in a two-wheel, two-wheel slide and go through that corner. It's a... It's a lot of fun, especially in the single track, because with a mountain bike, you can just kind of point it, and it'll it'll take you through that. And you can't take your hands off a cross bike. You got to fly that thing the entire time, and use a lot of body English and everything. So it's like getting on a roller coaster. It's a lot of fun. So you got the six thousand dollar bike. Is that is that the bike that you guys recommend? Are you like a consumer uh, review? Are you like a, what is that called? Consumer product. We do product reviews. Yeah, and see, and the reason why you should come to my side is. This is this is what I do. I am um, currently there's only two books published in the world that I know of on cyclocross, and I wrote one of them. I was an athlete at the Olympic Training Center for cyclocross. I was a head skills coach for the American Cycling Association for nine years for their junior cyclocross camps. So wow. um, there's so it's like who who reads who who reviews this stuff? Do you want just the guys from Bicycling Magazine or somebody else who just that's they don't have a niche. That's they they just they're editors and things like that. This is this is what I do, and so I'm I'm going to tell you what's good and what's bad and what's great about bikes. And and I'm we serve a dual purposes in that we give constructive feedback to the manufacturers. We're like, well, we want them to make a better product. So um, so there's a benefit um, for each one of them. I mean, and we'll point out things that other people won't. Um, like Cyclocross Magazine, they're a great uh, publication and everything. They totally miss the fact that the $6,000 cross bike 
you can't get the front wheel off of it, and they put the worst brakes in the world on it. it, it you know, with six with a with a six thousand dollar bike, when I roll that off the shovel and four, I don't want to have to do anything to it. Um, but the, they put the Avid Shorty Sixes on there, which, in my opinion, is is a nice brake. It works. It will stop you, but it is the worst brake for cyclocross because once it's adjusted, you can't get that wheel off. Wow. So you're located in Portland, right? I'm in Portland, Oregon, and the cyclocross scene here is just crazy. You know, we have a scene in Southern California, too. I don't know if you're how familiar you are with it. Uh, I am. I am. I'm working with Dorothy Wong on the Southern uh, uh, Cyclocross series. Well, she's she's done a bunch of shows here with us. Um, so maybe you can call in once in a while and uh, give us your picks. That would be awesome. I would be more than happy to do that. Just just let me know and um, come to our site, look around, give us some feedback, and um, love to hear from people. Cool. Uh, and your website is... It's crossbikereview.com. All right, cool. Well, thanks for calling in, and uh, we'll talk to you again. All right, thanks a lot. You have a good day. You too. Bye. So we got a couple things coming up. We got a couple of interviews I did with um, theme, kind of a common topic, which is, I guess, old-fashioned or historic bikes and biking. One is a biography of the famous, although now really kind of unknown uh, motor pacer raid racer of the 1900s named Bobby Walthour Sr. And the author of that book's name is Andrew Homan, and the book is called Life in the Slipstream. And then we're going to talk to somebody named Steve Mager, which I pronounced wrong, uh, but you'll hear it pronounced correctly in the interview. And he's going to talk about his ongoing tour on a penny farthing from Lake Tahoe to San Francisco. So two interviews that are about uh, historic bikes and biking. Life in the Slipstream is by Andrew Homan, and that's the one we're playing first. Hello, Nick. Yeah, hey, Andrew, you're on the air, and uh, welcome to Bike Talk. Oh, hi, Nick. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Uh, Appreciate you calling in. So let me ask you the official questions for life in the strips slip sure how did you get started on this project i got started by reading two books on history and that's what inspired me to write life in the slipstream the legend of bobby walthar senior the two books were major taylor's biography by andrew ritchie and the other was uh, a book that peter and i wrote called hearts of lions I contacted both of those authors, and they really encouraged me to get going with uh, my research. So why Bobby Walthour Sr.? Why did you choose him to write about? Well, through my research, I didn't know what to expect. And the more I researched, the more articles that I brought up and all that, the more the name Walthour, Bobby Walthour, came up, whether it was Bobby Walthour Sr., or his son, Bobby Walthour Jr., both great professionals in their day. Mm. So you just found it, you just found them, and in addition to yes, in, in addition to that, I found that Bobby Walthour Sr.'s grandson is now 84 years old, lives in Carmel, and wrote him a letter. He called me back and invited my wife and I 
out to his home in Carmel and chatted, and it was great. He told me a lot about the history of his father, and from that point on, I decided, you know, somebody's got to write about this family and, and these people. So Bobby Waltar Sr. was famous for several events. There was sprinting, six-day racing, motor pacing. Can you explain the difference between those? Well, he started his career in 1896 as a sprinter, and as technology developed, there there are motorcycles available to pace them at high speeds. So the money started going towards motor pacing, promotion money, people that coming to see motor pacing is exciting, it was fast, they'd fill up the stands with motor pacing, so sprinters like Walther, who weren't, I mean, he was a great sprinter, but not the bet one of the best so he went into motor pacing like a lot of sprinters did and he became really the best motor pacer in the united states and then later in the world can and you he, tell he, us what yeah yeah can you tell us what motor pacing is motor pacing is being behind a motorcycle within inches of, the, of behind the motorcycle and in quotes you know within the slipstream hence the name of the book, um, of the motorcycle, and they would go to speeds of 40, 50, sometimes even 60 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. Wow. And what's, what is six-day racing? Six-day racing was uh, probably the most, it was the Tour de France, really, of the United States back in its day. Six-day racing started at, in Madison Square Garden in 1891, and from that point on, 15,000 fans would come to these races. And six-day racing was a race for six straight days well, on a track that was only a tenth of a mile long, highly banked. And these riders would go on and on until, you know, they couldn't, they, get, they would have to get some sleep eventually. But, um, and that's how six-day races started and Bobby Walthour won the 1901 and 1903 six-day races inside Madison Square Garden. So it sounds like, as I've already already talked to you and I know that racing was really popular in America early in the 20th century. Hugely popular. As a matter of fact, in Walthour's era, it was, I would say, it was more popular than baseball. And baseball really did take over as the most popular sport in the United States, but that wasn't until 1910. You know, it, I mean, Walthour made more money than any baseball player by ten times, especially 1904, where he had like a he had a Eddie Merckx year, like Eddie Merckx had in in 1969, where Walthour he won 90 percent of his races and probably earned. With betting on himself, he probably earned over $100,000 that year. What year was that? 1904. So, and then, but, so bicycling, cycling sort of decreased in popularity in the United States while it it stayed just as popular in Europe. Do you have any thoughts on that, or is that true? It, it did. Cycling was very popular in the United States all the way up until the late 1930s. And as a matter of fact, six-day racing in the United States was became the most popular race in the United States and there was actually a circuit of six-day races 
in various cities, including New York, Chicago, uh, Cleveland, and, and some of them, and Boston, the biggest cities in the United States back then. And there would be writers from Europe and writers from Australia and writers from the United States who would make great money riding the six-day circuit. Why didn't Walthour ride in the Tour de France? Well, he didn't ride in the Tour de France because they couldn't have given him enough money. He was already popular enough, and in the number one sport was motor pacing in Europe. He would sell out velodromes in France and Germany that were twenty, thirty, forty thousand people would attend and sell out, you know, sell out crowds. When he would win, a lot of times, especially in Germany, they would take him around the track on his shoulders. Wow. On on their shoulders, I should say. <laughs> so so to him, so the Tour de France wasn't the premier event that it is. No, it wasn't. Tour de France in 1903 and especially in 1904, they didn't even think it was going to go beyond 1904 in the second year of its existence. But thankfully it did. So you talked already about how famous Walthour was during Mm -hmm. his career. Um, In terms of fans, I mean, or people, audience, can you just, you want to sort of give us more perspective on that? Well, yeah, the, like in, as an example, Madison Square Garden, there there would be, on the first day, there would be 15,000 people. They would always sell out the first day. And people, some people would could stay there the entire time. Or they, they would leave, go to work, come back later, and pay again. So within the entire six days, there could be 60,000 people that went through the turnstile and paid admission to go see Walthour and these other cyclists. And, and and with velodromes and in indoor arenas and outdoor arenas, that's how cycling promoters, professional cyclists made their money. And it, it was an incredible sport in the United States back then. What kind of injuries did Walthour sustain during his career? Uh, he, he got... So he got well, he had a 25-year career, what is it? He, and he, um, he uh, sorry, <laughs> my wife's bringing me inside the house here, I don't know why. Oh, okay. Okay, Can you Some, talk something or? to do with outside, sorry about that. Well, anyway, he, he had a 25-year career, and he was very lucky because a lot of the other professionals, uh, professional motor pacers, were killed, and permanently maimed, and he was lucky enough uh, not to have that happen to him, and he, and he had a spectacular career, a long career. So he really didn't have many injuries? Well, he, yeah. yeah, going back to your question, I'm sorry, he uh, he did have, he broke his collarbone, right collarbone 25 times, his left collarbone 18 times, he broke fractured ribs, fingers, and one of his the, the thing that he said that uh, made his career so long was that he never broke his leg. Right. Wow, I get So was he ever at uh, the race? So he must have seen people die. Oh, yeah, in, absolutely. In yeah, he was, he was at several races where riders were killed. So how would that happen? They would, they would crash into motorcycles? Well, they... He started his career in motor pacing before there were rollers on the back where 
riders would could bump into and not have anything happen. Before the rollers were there, it was spectacularly dangerous. It, the rear, the front tire of the bike would hit the rear wheel of the motorcycle, and they would fly into the air and land on the cement or the wood, and you know, get killed. It was supposed to be for disaster, really. What did they have helmets? Yeah. Oh no. no. Well, I mean, they had leather helmets starting at around 1906, but before that, no one wore helmets. Wow. So, um, you talked about the spectatorship, and he made a lot of money. What what kind of money was he making? It was in the well, 1904 was his best year ever. He was world champion that year. He was world champion 1905 as well. But he made uh, more money that year. Uh, he, with with endorsements and earnings, he he probably made sixty thousand dollars. And a lot of writers in those days bet on themselves. So my theory is that he probably, especially since he had a ninety percent record that year, he probably bet on himself quite a bit and earned over hundred thousand dollars that year. And that would be like a million dollars today. Oh, more than that. Yeah, and in the other years he would make at least twenty, thirty, sometimes forty thousand dollars. So he was incredible. Well, yeah, I mean this was when you when you could buy something for a penny, right? Exactly. Um, so lots, lots of rewards. Um, I guess biking was bigger back then. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean I don't know if it was bigger back then than it is now. It's pretty big now. So what would you say you've accomplished by writing this book? Well, I think that my hope is my hope is that if I get the name out there and and show well, if I if I get his name out there and then have more and more people read the book, then uh, they'll understand that boy there was a Lance Armstrong, there was a Greg LeMond 100 years ago, and he was America an American from Atlanta. And he was, they called him the Babe Ruth of cycling, and he really was. And if I accomplish anything, then I will get people to know about this guy. Cool. Do you have plans to write another book? At this moment, I don't. I do have a, a magazine article that's coming out in Peloton magazine. It's going to hit the newsstands on September 6th. Uh, so I'll probably do maybe more magazine articles, and that might inspire me to uh, get to do a second book. But for now, I'm just concentrating on marketing my book. All right. Well, I wish you luck and success and uh, some of the money that uh, Walther got um, yeah. will come to you. <laughs> I don't know about that, but, uh, yeah, it's... it's uh, it was a very exciting time, and I encourage people to read Life in the Slipstream, The Legend of Bobby Waltar. And uh, you may be surprised to to uh, find some of this, how dangerous and how really modern the uh, story was. Okay. All right. Well, thanks a lot, Andrew. Andrew Homan, author of Life in the Slipstream, biography of Bobby Waltar Sr. Thanks a lot. All right. Thanks, Nick, for having me. I appreciate it. Okay. Have All right. Bye. Well, that was the first of our historic-themed bike interviews. The second is with somebody named Steve. He 
is doing what he calls the Big Ass Bike Expedition 2011, which is a penny-farthing tour from Lake Tahoe to San Francisco. I'm here with Steve Maher, and Steve is doing a penny-farthing ride of Northern California. Hi, Steve. Hi, Nick. How are you? Good. Um, how did you come up with the idea of doing this ride? Well, last year, uh, for my birthday, I rode my unicycle up Mount Diablo because my friend told me I couldn't do it. And uh, shortly after that, I saw a penny farthing and thought it'd be fun to ride one of those somewhere. And uh, at first, I thought I'd ride around Lake Tahoe, and that seemed kind of easy to do. So then I thought I'd ride across the state, and uh, and that's kind of how it started. So um, so I looked into it, and there's there's one place that makes penny farthings in uh, America, in the United States, and that's out in Alameda, which isn't too far from where I live. So I saved up uh, for a couple months, and I got a penny farthing, and uh, started to, I learned how to ride it and started training. Okay, for those of us who don't know, a uh, penny farthing is the old-fashioned bike with a, with it's got no gears, but it's got the giant front wheel and the, the tiny rear wheel. Exactly. So what they did, it's 1880s technology. It's the original bikes. They actually called them an ordinary, and it's got a Mine, mine has a 48-inch front wheel and a 12-inch rear, and it's, it's the original Fixie, so it's, it's direct drive. No gears, no brakes, and then the wheels are actually solid rubber, and so there's a, there's a metal bead inside that holds them onto the rim. Um, so no gears, no brakes, and it gets a little tricky uh, going up and down hills because you have to pedal pretty hard. So it's like a, kind of like a fixed gear? It is. It's absolutely fixed. So... Um, if you stop pedaling, you fall over. And that was actually pretty hard today because um, I'm, I'm in Marin County today, and there's some hills that snuck up on us that were really steep, and um, there's also no tread. So if if you create too much torque, your front wheel just starts to spin, and uh, that happened today, and uh, you tend to fall over because you're not moving forward. How high up are you? Uh, I uh, My butt is about five feet off the ground. So, so I'm going to four feet on top of that so so i have a really good view yeah what's the scenery like it is it's actually really nice i was riding with my brother today and i could see over the crest of hills before him and so i could tell him what was coming up and what to look out for but you know it's really it's really neat because you are really high in the air you have a totally different perspective um it's not like a recumbent where you're afraid you're going to get hit by a car but he can see you from miles away right uh, i actually felt really safe what are the reactions you're getting Everybody seems to love it. There's really two types of people. There's the people that are way too cool, and they just, you know, oh, I've seen everything, and, you know, that's nothing new. But mostly I see a ton of people that honk and smile, and, and kids just love it. I drove by a, a road by a car today, and the kids were just cracking up. They just thought that was the funniest thing ever. That's great. Um, but it's funny because people get really shy because I'll stop for water or take a break or something, and... Uh, and I offer anybody that wants to ride it, I'm, I'm more than happy to let them sit on it or try and ride it around. And like, oh, no thanks, no, I want nothing to do with that. So people are kind of afraid of it, but uh, but yeah, it's it's great. Well, now how did you? People seem to really like. Yeah, so it, you you just wanted to ride a penny farthing. How, when did this idea come into your head? And in, in the first place, uh, it was it was just before I did my unicycle ride last year, so last August. And so um, I started talking about it and talking about it and mapping out the route. And um, I had a buddy that said he would do it, who, of course, didn't. But uh, my wife said, you know, if, if business picks up and we, we can make this amount during the month, you can go buy a bike. And 
So I worked really hard, and by the time I got to February, we had hit the magic number, and uh, I could go out and pick one up. And, uh, um, I think I really surprised the guy, because I think he mostly makes them for decoration. He sells a lot of these to bike shops that put them in a window, or somebody puts them out in their garden, or something like that. And they're very decorative. Um, and so when I came in and said I actually wanted to ride it across the state, he kind of looked at me funny. and <laughs> But uh, it's been really sturdy. I've broken three spokes so far. But aside from that, it's held up really well. The spokes in the big wheel or the little wheel? Spokes on the big wheel. Does the big wheel have, like, a name? What's that? And a petting farthing, does the big wheel have a name? Like, it's a dedicated kind of a name for the uh, wheel? I have a name for mine, but uh, I, I call it the Emma Dodd. Uh, I read a book called The Furious Fly Cycle when I was about 10. And there was a guy that saves his family, and he, he's just a crazy adventure guy. And he has a maiden name, Emma Dodd, and uh, I just love that name. And so I needed a Victorian name for my Victorian bike, so I call it the Emma Dodd. So this is from Victorian times, this bike? Pretty much. The, originally, they made them in the 1880s. Yeah. And then Thomas Stevens rode around the world on one in 1884. Uh, but about 18, late 1880s, 1890s, they had invented pneumatic wheels and the chain drive and, and they went to the safety principle. Uh, so these were, you know, sort of old by 1890. And the and safety bike. Actually, it's, it's interesting. The reason they made the, the front wheel bigger was the bigger the wheel, the faster you could go. And so the mm. wheels kept get big, getting bigger and bigger so you could ride faster at the same cadence. Hmm. It's, it's kind of like a gear in a way. It's the way a gear works, but instead yeah. of the Exactly, except instead of making your gear bigger, they, they just made the wheel the wheel bigger. So what's it like to ride? You know, it's it's not bad, you know. Um, there's a lot of torque on the handlebars because when you press forward on the pedal, it, it wants to turn whichever, so if you're pushing with your right foot, it wants to turn to the right. So hmm. you kind of have to fight it just a little bit with the handlebars. Um, but once you kind of smooth out your pedaling technique, uh, it's not too bad. It doesn't corner very quickly. Uh, you can't, you know, turn on a dime. Uh, so you have to, you really ride like 20 feet in front of yourself, so you're always looking ahead, and you know what's coming, so you can anticipate and kind of move. But once you're up and moving, it's it's actually very stable. You would think that you would just fall over, but there's so much momentum that it, it keeps you upright really easily. How many miles a day are you doing? <coughs> uh, excuse me. The first two, I went 20, 25 and then it was 46, uh, 54 yesterday, and 38 today. And then tomorrow's an easy ride into the city, which is only 18. And so, what would how many? How have you done a regular bike ride? You've done a unicycle. You've done penny farthing. Have you done regular bike tours? Yeah, uh, I was a triathlete for a long time, and so I would. I, I have a garage full of carbon fiber bikes. So I've I've done you know century rides and. Um, a lot of triathlons and Ironmans and stuff like that. So I spent a lot of time on bikes. Um, but this is just fun. It's it's so different because everybody sees you. When you're on a normal bike, you know, nobody notices. But this, everybody waves and smiles and, you know, or says something to you. So it's it's I like the attention. It's really fun. So what kind of person does this? <laughs> well, if you read that book, uh, Bike Snob, he mm-hmm. talks about weirdos that write penny farthing. So I think it's a lot of weirdos. But uh, as far as riding a penny farthing, it's everybody that just likes something different and something new. And uh, it's just, 
it's just a different experience. It's the same skill set. It's just it's a little bit different. And I, I like a challenge, and, and that's why I'm doing this. This is my birthday challenge for this year. And I got a hall pass from my wife, so she she gave me the week off to go play. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a bike tour on just a different type of bike. All right, cool. Well, and uh, how many miles is it total? I think it's going to be around 250. 250. The, the problem is you can't ride the freeways, which if you look at your Google map, you go, oh, that's a piece of cake. But then when you look closely, you can't ride on a freeway, so you have to do all the frontage roads, and so there's a lot of back and forth and around. Um, so I think it's going to be about 250 total. And, and it's from Tahoe to Marin or something? To San Francisco. So uh, we, we started at Cal Neva, which is a casino right on the border of California and Nevada in Lake Tahoe. And then tomorrow I'm going to end up in Aquatic Park, which is right near Ghirardelli Square. Mm-hmm. Um, and right across from that, uh, there's a little beach, and so I'm going to go there. The other reason to stop there is there's the Buena Vista Bar, and they invented the Irish coffee. So I'm going to stop mm-hmm. and have an Irish coffee to celebrate. Well, you will have deserved it, for sure. <laughs> Now, um, if somebody wants to join you for, for one of these rides, is there going to be another one? Uh, I don't think there's going to be one in the near future. I might do the Mountain Challenge on Mount Diablo in October, mm-hmm. where you start at the base of Mount Diablo and ride to the top, which is about a 3,500-foot climb. Wow. Um, it's a great ride if any of your listeners uh, want to do it. It's a lot of fun. It's also a charity event. But after that, my wife told me she would not follow me anywhere on a bicycle next year. So I think I'm, I'm off for at least a year. <laughs> okay. But you got your brother there with you. I do. It's, it's actually really nice. He picked me up in Davis, and so we've been riding for two days together. Um, I was on my own for two days. I met a fraternity brother, and I have a guy that I run with up in Tahoe that rode with me a little bit. And then I was on my own for two days, which which is nice. You know, it's, you, you collect your thoughts, and you get to see the scenery, but... Uh, when you have to push an extra 10 miles, it gets pretty lonely. Uh, so it, it's nice. And actually, I'm staying at my my older brother's house tonight, and he and his son will probably ride in with us tomorrow. So it'll be sort of a family affair going in. But they're on regular bikes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They're on okay. mountain bikes. Wimps. <laughs> <laughs> and you'll be able to say that forever now. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Bragging rights. Um, I'm the crazy one. I always think of something silly to do, like the Alcatraz swim or do a triathlon or something to walk. Like that, and then I talk these guys into it. Well, I'm sure that they're they're they feel very fortunate to have you for a brother, and a and a friend. So, yeah, um, yeah I think they do. Well, great, Steve. And and where can people hear about this on Facebook? There's a Facebook yeah, page. Yeah, so uh, there's my Facebook link. It's the Big Ass Bike Expedition 2011, and it's all one word. Um, and when I got it, it's because my friends were saying, "Well, that's one big ass bike." And uh, so I just I just put it all together on a Facebook page. So if you just the Big Ass Bike Expedition 2011 on Facebook, there's a fan page, and I've posted little posts of my rides up until now, and then I've put videos on for the last four or five days too. Great. The big... it looks like to ride a penny farthing. All right. Well, we can check you out there. Thanks a lot, Steve, and uh, have a great rest of your rest of your tour. On the great. Thank you very much. I really appreciate talking to you. All right. Take care. Okay. Riding my 19th century bicycle
Thanks for calling. No problem. Um, so what's going on with the LACBC? Um, well, we have a lot of things coming up and a lot of things going on. Um, the big one that we're really um, needing a lot of volunteers for is the second LA bike count, which is going to be the week of September 12th. We're going to get out there to hopefully over 50 intersections. We're adding a couple locations in the valley and um, in South LA to get out there and see, you know, where are people riding bikes um, and how many people are out there riding bikes at any given time. And we're also collecting data on uh, pedestrians. So we need, you know, around 100 volunteers. Um, and uh, so if you're interested in volunteering and helping out count cyclists and, and really um, help us collect data about, you know, who's riding and where are they riding, um, and how are they riding? Because we also look at collecting data on, you know, are people riding the wrong way? Are they riding on the sidewalk? Are they wearing helmets? You know, we just look at a couple other demographic information. You know, are they male or female? Is it a little kid? Is it an adult? Um, just to collect some information on, you know, who's out there riding at any given time on a on a, a September day. Okay, so when are you doing this? This is going to be the week of September 12th. Um, it's okay. going to be... We'll be counting on two days. We'll be counting on one weekday in the morning and the afternoon and on a Saturday um, in the middle of the day there. And the count shifts, the, the volunteer times are just two hours. Uh, it's not too bad. You bring a chair or something to sit on and uh, just make little hash marks and count people as they pass you by. And it's at one intersection? Um, you'll be doing it at 50, over 50 intersections. Oh, wow. Excuse me. That's huge. Yeah. So, so we did it in 2009, and we counted over 14,000 cyclists, and I believe over 26,000 pedestrians, or 2,600. <laughs> oh, 26,000. Yeah, sorry. Wow. Get my numbers. And That's what up. what does this do for us? Well, one of the things it really does is start to provide us a little bit more information on on people who are riding. Right now, we depend solely on the census, um, and that only counts commute to work. So. Well, it does a it, it does collect data on people who bike to work, which is really good. It doesn't paint a picture of the whole day, so we don't know, you know, are people riding their bike and then taking transit, or are they riding their bike to the store? And so when we get out and do a bike count, we're just seeing everybody who's out riding, um, and we we count in the morning peak period, which is like 7 a.m. to 9 a.m., and then in the afternoon from 4 to 6. So we're still looking at commute times, but you're looking at anybody that's out there, and this is part of a national project called the National Bicycle and Pedestrian Documentation Project, which is trying to collect data nationwide on, you know, who's out there walking and biking. Because right now um, in the United States, we collect a lot of data on transit and on um, vehicles, but we don't collect data on people walking and biking. And so one of the things it does in terms of advocacy is it really helps to show, you know, how, where are people riding and how are they riding and then what benefits do the different types of infrastructure have on ridership. And in 2009, when we did this count, where we saw the highest rates of ridership where, you know, where we have our path, but also where we have our bike lanes and around certain transit centers um, and also certain certain nodes. So, like, USC had, I think, in an afternoon period, over 900 cyclists. 
Um, and, uh, you know, down by the, the beach path on the weekend, we have over a thousand cyclists in a two hour period. Mm. Um, but we also saw at 7th and Alvarado, um, which where, was, where which was has no thing? bike. Where, where'd you find a thousand cyclists? Um, that was down, I think, at, uh, the Marvin, where the Marvin Broad Beach Path and the, um, Bayona Creek Beach Path meet up. Where, where is that? Is that in, like, uh, Redondo or something? Uh, no, right at the edge of, um, Marina del Rey. Oh, okay. So in the all of these are in the city of LA. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, we, we got out and counted at, um, let's see, 7th and Alvarado, which is right near Transit Stop, and it's, you know, We've been pushing really hard for the 7th Street bike lane, which is going to be done in a month, which okay. is really exciting. Um, that is. And, and we had pretty – we had – right now, you know, there's no bicycle infrastructure, but they had a similar count, um, similar amount of people were riding on 7th and Alvarado as there were people riding where there were bike lanes. Hmm. So, you know, that's kind of showing that here's a location where – um, people are riding right now with or with, you know without bike lanes, but there's a real need to maybe improve the infrastructure there because we have a, a similar ridership there as we did on um, I think at Sunset and Echo Park. So you're you saying there, there's as many people on Sunset and Echo Park as on uh, the Seventh and Alvarado? No. Correct. Really? Wow. Yeah, we did our count. I mean, granted, it's just snapshot in time. It's not like a over the duration of a year, <laughs> but it was just on a on a Saturday. Um, in 2000, I mean, on a, a September day in, in 2009, this is what we saw. Um, and now we're going to go out. And the, the great thing about doing this again is that we get to look at comparing a little bit. So it's 2011 now. Two years have gone by. We've seen Sheros go in on a number of streets. There have been some bike lane projects completed. Um, and, you know, has that impacted ridership at all? Do we see more people riding on those streets now because of those improvements? Is it the same? Is it less? You know, we're 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 hoping that we'll see a lot of more people riding bicycles. Right. It feels like that to me. I mean, even just my daily commute, I I see more people. You know, for a while there, I was sort of by myself, and now in the morning, I'll get to a light, and um, you know, there'll be three other cyclists stopped at the light with me on the on Second Street or, or wherever. I'm, you know, so I I think it's um. I don't know. I feel like there's a lot more people out riding these days, so it'll be interesting to see if we capture that at all um, with this count. Yeah. Um, you know, I was just in Chicago on vacation, and I talked to some people from the Active Transportation Alliance, or the Alliance for Biking and Walking in Chicago. Yeah. Um, they have 43 people on staff. It's a huge organization. It is. Um, do, you guys, do you guys correspond with other... Uh, bike advocacy organizations in other cities much? We do. We talk a lot. Um, so we're members of the Alliance for Biking and Walking, which is a um, a really great resource for um, bicycle and pedestrian advocates. Um, and through the Alliance for Biking and Walking, we're able to uh, interact and meet with other advocates around the country. And so we talk a lot with San Francisco, Chicago, um, and uh, the folks at Transportation Alternatives in New York. Um, and I actually was up in Portland about a week and a half ago, or two weeks ago, and met up with the folks from the Bicycle Transportation Alliance and also a really amazing organization called the Community Cycling Center, which um, is a – it's not like a – it's not really a bike co-op, and it's not really a – it's a kind of a recycle-a-bicycle-type program, um, but they also work in a, a large element of working with the low-income communities there, kind of like what we do with, with City of Lights and BC Digna, except for they work through a 
job source, a job resource center. So people that are, um, you know, trying to get their life back together and find work and all that stuff that are working with a, a transition type organization, they do a special bike education, um, bike maintenance education course. They teach people how to maintain a bicycle and then also um, uh, how to, you know, ride safely and all that. And then at the end of their course, they get a free bicycle with lights and a helmet so that they'd be able to get to job interviews and be able to find jobs. This is your, your program? Um, no, this is the Community Cycling Center up in Portland, which is somewhat similar to um, City of Lights and BC Digna, but um, but a little a little bit different. So, so I met with them up in, in Portland. So I, we do the staff here in LA does try to go out and meet with folks whenever we're traveling in other cities to hear about the great work they're doing and get further inspiration for the work we can be doing here in LA. So you're doing a lot of different things. Are there how many people are working for you? We have about um, 12 staff at LACDC. There are um, six of us that are full-time and then six that are part-time. Okay. Well, there's a lot to keep track of. Are you going to keep calling us every week? Yeah, I'll try to. It's hard um, for me to do it every week. I, I, I keep trying to pawn it off and make it so that, like, we each take turns. <laughs> that doesn't always work. Yeah. Um, but I also want to let folks know that are out there in Santa Monica, just quick before I run off to the farmer's market, is okay. that um, the Santa Monica bike plan is up now. So um, if you have a chance to go to the City of Santa Monica website or the Santa Monica Spoke website, which was our um, local LACDC chapter over there in Santa Monica, they have the, the plan on the um, on their website so that you can take a look at it, and they're collecting comments for the next month. And there's a bunch of meetings coming up um, there's just one this week, but they have, a, I think, three or four more meetings that are going to be coming up so that you can learn more about the plan because um, the staff will be presenting it to the various um, commissions for the city just to educate them on what the plan entails. Can you, uh, you know, I really wanted to talk about that, and uh, I put a message out to someone, but I didn't really hear back. Did, do you think you can get someone to call in today about the Santa Monica bike plan? Um, I don't know if I can get someone to call in today because I don't think I have Cynthia or Brian's phone numbers. <laughs> Because okay. they're the ones you would want to talk to yeah. um, from Santa Monica Spoke. Otherwise, for for the for, for the city of Santa Monica itself, a really good person to interview would be Lucy Dyke, and then I'd be happy to give you her information. Um, she's cool. the planner, I think, that's been working closely on the plan, and she's the one that's been giving all the presentations. Okay, and if you have any ideas for a Bike Talk promo, KPFK wants us like a 60-second promo for Bike Talk. Do you have all right. We'll see. Have you talked to Have you talked to Roadblock? He's really good at those things. Oh yeah, I'm always talking to Roadblock. We'll We'll talk again about that. Okay. All right. Thanks, Alexis. And great. Uh, thank you. Enjoy the farmers market. Okay. Have a great day. I'll talk to you soon. You too. Okay. Bye. bye. That was Alexis Lance with the LACBC, Los Angeles County Bicycle Coalition. Okay, and if you want to call in, the number here is two one three two five two zero nine nine eight. This is Bike Talk. Two one three. Two five two zero nine nine eight. If you have any any issues going on, any things rides coming up, anything you want to talk about, please give us a call. Hi, Tuck. Hi, this is Efren. Hey, Efren, how you doing? Good, yourself? Good. I just posted on Facebook, and you saw it and called, right? Yeah. Are you listening to the show? Uh, no, I, I, I wasn't, but I'm familiar with yeah, KPFK. Okay. Cool. Mm -hmm. So you actually listen to the podcast? Uh, sometimes. No, I can't, I honestly can't say all the time. Yeah, that's okay. All right. Um, well, 
So what's going on today? Well, I just uh, wanted to mention about the West San Gabriel Bike Coalition. Oh, okay, good. And uh, the, the ride we have coming up August 20th. Okay, so what's the ride? Uh, it's um, a ride that we're having on August 20th. Um, it's at 3 o'clock. We're meeting at Lashbrook Park in El Monte or Rosemead area. And it's a ride along the Emerald Necklace bike trail. What is and, the Emerald Necklace bike trail? Uh, Emerald Necklace uh, is um, uh, an area that surrounds the San Gabriel River and the Rio Hondo River. And uh, they're working on making it uh, a big regional park where it, they turn that whole area into um, a green space. Sounds good. So what's it, what's it like? It's already been changed into a park and a green space? Um, some places, like, um, I don't know if you remember going down, I think it was the 605. There used to be a duck farm, and it would smell a lot, and so they... they bought that area and now they're going to I think they're turning it into green space so by the time you guys ride is it going to be green space or is it going to still be the oh it's um, it's in the works I'm not an expert completely on green on the emerald necklace but I know that it's it's coming about can you say the date one more time in the time um, August 20th okay. at um, 3 p.m. it's a, a ride for all levels of riders very easy Families are encouraged to attend. Okay. Is this part of an ongoing ride series? Do you do rides all the time? Yeah, we're, um, we um, teamed up with um, uh, uh, Rail to Trails, or, and, and so we're sponsoring a lot of rides along the San Gabriel River and the Rio Hondo River trails, bike trails. And your name of your organization again? West San Gabriel Valley. Bicycle Coalition. Are you a member of that? I mean, are you part of the organizers? Yeah, part of the steering committee. Uh, mm -hmm. It's uh, Alice Strong's on it, uh, Vincent Chang, and okay. um, Wes Wiederman. Okay, great. Yeah. And so you are like the LACBC, but for the West San Gabriel Valley? Right. We're part of the region. We're part of LACBC, and we're one of the regional chapters, I guess. There's different, they're trying to, since LACBC covers all of LA County and they're limited in, in coverage, they're encouraging other activists in, throughout the county to, you know, form little groups to, to promote cycling. And, and so far we've, we've uh, well, last year we presented at Temple City, um, Alexis, myself, and Dorothy when she was still with the LACDC. And now they're, you know, just jumped all over it, and they're going to put in a protected uh, cycle track. Wow. Well, where's that cycle track going to go? I think it's going to be going on Rosemead Boulevard. So it's a really big thing, and they're really... Um, I sent off an email a while ago because they were looking to doing downtown development. I told them they need to do pedestrian improvements in bike lanes and Temple City is a perfect example to use it. So it's such a small, flat city, and they went for it. So the West San Gabriel Bike Coalition, we want to uh, meet up with different cities and promote them implementing bike plans and, and putting in bike lanes.
All right. Now, if somebody wants to hear about more about this and find you somewhere online, where can we find you? Um, actually, you can on Facebook. It's just uh, Bike SGV. San Gabriel Valley. Yeah. Bike SGV. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so just so we know, where is the San Gabriel Valley in relation to L.A.? Um, we're right on the border. It starts with Alhambra, which is right next to El Sereno. And then uh, we go into Monterey Park, uh, South Pasadena, Pasadena. Then we move on east, going to San Gabriel, Rosemead, Temple City, and uh, just on east up, up until maybe a few cities past the 605. <laughs> um, so what's it like over there? Is it good to ride? How, what's the ride going to be like? What kind of bikes should people bring? Um, they, you know, it's going to be an easy pace bike. You know, all kinds of bikes are, are welcome. You know, we uh, we had our first ride, and we had uh, young kids on fixies, and we had families, uh, you know, bringing the parents, bringing their kids, uh, older adults on their beach cruisers. You know, all are welcome, all kinds, just as long as it's in good working order. <laughs> okay, sounds good. So August 20th, 3 p.m., and where do we meet? And we're meeting at Lashbrook Park. And we're going to be riding up to Peck Park. Okay. So, mm-hmm. so I guess so Google Maps that. And yeah. All right. Great. Thank you, our friend, for calling in. And anytime you want to tell us about your rides, just call up. All right. Thanks a lot. Take care. Okay. You too. Bye. Bye. That was Efren Moreno, Jr. with the San Gabriel Valley uh, Bike Coalition, or the West... San Gabriel Valley Bicycle Coalition and they've got a ride on August 20th 3 p.m. and you can find out more about it at Bike SGV on Facebook the number here is 213-252-0998 call in here's some bike music Uh, well, there's an ad in my bike music uh, website that I use. So, any ideas for a promo for Bike Talk? You know, like, stop sitting in your car in traffic, ride a bike, listen to Bike Talk. Um, it's got to be 60 seconds or 30 seconds. There's two lengths of spot for KPFK that are needed. And um, just give us your suggestions at livebiketalk at gmail.com or on Facebook. 213-252-0998 is the number to call in. Bike Talk. Hey, Hey. how you doing, Nick? Good. Chicken leather. Chicken leather. What's going on? Hey, man. Um, got out on the road yesterday. <laughs> you got on the road? I yeah. I was out there, uh, sort of navigating the the bikeways or the streets. Uh, on, on a bike. On a bike. Yeah. Well, this is nothing new for you, is it, chicken leather? No, it's not anything new okay. for me. It's just that I'm, I was kind of amazed because uh, I guess the A and D, uh, the architect and design had a. Um, 
a uh, little bit of a night there um, over at the Museum of, of Architecture and Design where they asked people to uh, comment on their most harrowing story between a car and themselves. And um, lo and behold, there were a lot of people that, that did uh, donate some money and, and, and talk about this. Uh, uh, a good number of people. And there, there also is a photo exhibit up that's uh, pretty fantastic. So which museum is this? Uh, uh, architecture and design right across from LACMA. Where are you now? Because I'm hearing some nice... Well, I'm actually in a soundstage uh, studio in, in, in uh, Beverly Hills, kind of uh, shunning my job and doing a little bit of uh, moonlighting here to pay some bills here. Wow, it sounds very, uh, very relaxing. <laughs> it sounds more impressive. So I'm, I'm going to walk to the other right. side. So, but so the, the reason I bring this up is I got to meet uh, a few people, including um, um, uh, Ron Milan, who uh, was our sort of our, our secret kind of. Uh, um, uh, we, there's nothing secret about Ramalan. He was our bike sage, so to speak, and he's got that sage program where he'll. Uh, he pairs you with people to lead you around, so it seemed kind of like a no-brainer to see him um, do this uh, for us on, on Thursday. Now, the exhibit is still up and will be until, uh, I guess, the end of the month. Okay, so what's the name of the exhibit again? It's, uh, it's Beyond Cars. And, and where is this museum? Uh, it's right across from LACMA, so that would be like Wilshire near uh, between Curson and, and Franklin there. I mean, it, it, Fairfax. And, and for our memory challenge, what's it called again? <laughs> uh, architecture and Design. Eight, eight, and, eight. and you said people aired their grievances? Well, they didn't air their grievances, but they were asked by uh, a couple people. The LACBC was actually hosting a night of um, where you could uh, talk about your most harrowing bike story, bike on car or a car on bike story. I, when I hear it that way, I think of it as being something between uh, bike porn and, and uh, survival. So maybe maybe that's what I'm, I'm seeing flash before my eyes when these things happen. Uh, the the other reason I wanted to call was just to let everybody know that tonight is the uh, traditional like um, 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 spoken art ride in Northeast Los Angeles, and we have some uh, new artists that are coming out for it tonight. Spoken art ride tonight, huh? Yeah. That's Starting at about uh, 6.30 over at 3706 North Figueroa in uh, beautiful downtown. Well, kind of on the edge of, of Highland Park and Cypress Park there. Okay. Now, what do we expect on a spoken art ride? I've been well, on, on a couple. Well, you, you get to see uh, uh, a leisurely paced kind of ride, very, very safe, depending on which group you pick. There's three different groups. There's the team fast and then there's kind of like the middle team and then there's the dfl the, the dead last people that sort of follow with me what's the f stand for you oh know? you don't want to know <laughs> <laughs> fun the f stands for fun the dead fun last yes there you go huh. yeah and so then you go to art galleries yeah we do and it's so leisurely faced this is the one that you could bring anybody to, to this thing we literally do five galleries located about maybe uh, a half mile to to maybe two tenths of a mile between each other, and you you, you get four hours to do it, and uh, it's not all at once. So it's leisurely paced, a uh, lot of food, and uh, the most important point is you get to see your community like you never could before, uh, because you're on a bicycle and you 
get to carry on a conversation with sometimes some of the the, uh, the friends that you meet there on the ride. What's and, this part of town? Uh, northeast Los Angeles, so a lot of uh, over there by York and, and Figueroa and all the galleries around there, which are kind of uh, blossoming and, and, and budding on that side of town. Can you give us the address again? 3706 North Figueroa. You know, I think it might actually help having you know, short attention span or something, being a, a talk show host, because I get that information out there over and over again because <laughs> I have to keep asking. Okay. Well, Nick, i, I got to get back into the studio. I just wanted to call. And, in fact, um, I'm going to be really pressed to get over there today. I, I usually do some wrenching over at the bike oven, but uh, it seems I haven't been able to get a hold of anybody. So may, maybe one of your listeners is a bike oven uh, kind of key holder, and they'll be able to go down and open up for me. Maybe. <laughs> okay. All right, I'll talk to you later. All right, Chicken Leather, thanks All right. for calling. Bye. Peace out. Peace. That was Chicken Leather, uh, one of our hosts here. Back to some bikes, bike music. Bike talk. Hi, this is Chris Abedini calling. Nick, how are you? Good, Chris. Uh, do I call you Chris? Yes, you can. Um. So I I saw you on uh, Facebook, and you were talking about how you had a bike stolen. I thought we could maybe talk about it on the air, and maybe that would help something. Yes. Um, sorry, there's some sirens going by here. I don't know if you can hear them. Um, I had my Cat Trike Expedition, which is a recumbent trike, wow. which are very few and far between, stolen over the 4th of July weekend in West Hollywood. So you would think that... Yeah, that that if somebody in the neighborhood stole it, that somebody would have seen it. Yes. I mean, it was parked in a parking lot that is secured, uh, you know, residents only allowed. Uh, so we would think it would be somebody that was a friend of somebody that came in or a former resident, but they uh, cut off two locks that were on that, um, I can't find the receipts for it, but I'm pretty sure it told me that they could not be cut off. Right. What, like kryptonite locks or something? Uh, I, I can't remember. And one of them that they cut, they took, um, one of the thinner ones they left. So um, that was, I guess, the easiest one to cut. The thicker one, um, for whatever reason, they took with them when they cut it off. So, um, yeah, I, and it was one of those things where... It's, uh, it was parked in a bike rack, and it's, you know, you walk by it, that bike rack, and it's there, and it sticks out because it's a, you know, a very large bike, and it weighs 37 pounds. It will not fit in a car. Um, it has to be on a special bike rack or in an SUV or in a, a truck, or it has to be ridden out, but you just can't get on it and ride it out, typically. Um, and um, I walked out on a Saturday morning, and I just had to take a double check because the spot where it is normally was just empty. Wow. Um, and it really is one of those hit-in-the-pit-of-your-stomach feelings. Yeah, I mean, that's you must have an attachment to that bike. I mean, it's such a special kind of a bike. Yeah, I've had quite a few back surgeries. Um, I had bought recently an upright, you know, I'm in a two-wheel road bike um, that I have on a trainer, but I've had very quite a few back surgeries and have some nerve problem issues, and so I 
had done my first century on that bike. It's a two, it was just a 2009, so I Chris, hadn't had it very long. Chris, can, are you are you talking right into the receiver now? Because it's a little muffled. Oh, yes. Well, I am talking right into the receiver. Oh, so you did a century on that bike? I did. I did the Family of the Wildflower century on it <laughs> in, uh, in last year, in 2010. It was my first, and I'll tell you, I, it was not easy. <laughs> well, so with, and you have back problems. Yes. So, um, you know, I, it was, it wasn't easy, but it was the first time I, I had ever done a century. So I do have a special spot for the bike. So, um, and like I said, the, the serial number on mine is CTE669, which means it was the 669th bike made. There's not very many of them. So, Sorry. There aren't very many of them, and I, um, you just have to, you know, wonder how someone could just up and take one and have nobody notice that it's gone is what just amazes me. Uh, well, this is Chris Arette Abadini, and we're looking for her bike. It's a recumbent trike. It's a cat. Yes, it's a cat trike expedition. It's red. Um, at the time it was stolen, it had um, blue, crank, blue Crank Brother pedals on it with a little silver T-bar for um, accessories. Uh, it had a computer on it. It only had, luckily, the rear fender on it. Um, it has both right and left mirrors attached to it and built very sturdily into it. I forget the brand of it, but it wasn't something that was just flimsily attached. It was done professionally and um, it's a, a very nice-looking trike. <laughs> it has Schwalbe Marathon tires on it. Um, luckily, because I parked it in a parking garage, and, you know, it was even though it was secure, people could go by and whatever, I did take all the accessories off of it after riding. So, luckily, my lights and my bags and my flags and all that kind of stuff were not on the bike when it was stolen. But um, if anyone sees a, a red cat trike expedition or a red trike out there that they haven't seen in their area in a long time or just all of a sudden sees one, I mean, let the police know. There's been a police report filed. Uh, there was one stolen back in um, February, I believe, in Long Beach. And because of the cost of these bikes, it is a felony. So, um, you know, it's... Please be on the lookout. It's um, definitely got a soft spot for me, so I'm hoping to get it back. I haven't even told my insurance company yet because I'm hoping it'll be found. Yeah. Wow. Um, oh. So any any thoughts on what kind of thieves would have taken this bike? I mean, it sounds like you know if you're cutting through two locks, you, you have the equipment to do this. You're and you're maybe not just a casual bike thief. Well, that's what I don't I don't know, and I immediately called every bike shop um, on that Saturday morning and put the word out um, in case somebody came in because it did have an issue that needed to be fixed on the boom so that the, the chain was slipping. So somebody couldn't just hop on it and ride it out of the building because it really needed something fixed on it. Um, and so... It had to be something that had a car that, or an SUV or a truck that they could put it in. And um, 
unless they were prepared to carry it out, which is really kind of odd. So I called all the bike shops hoping that if somebody was going to take it in to get it fixed and all the, you know, uh, self, the ones that, you know, you can go in and fix them yourself. I, I notified all bike kitchen and all of those, letting them know um, with the serial number and that, um, I was told by several places that it's probably all was out of state within days and somewhere else. But I posted on all of the different forums that I can think of, even out of the country, hoping that if anybody happens to see something or notice something that, you know, because there aren't very many of them. Well, um Chris, that sounds like they messed with the wrong person, but they still might get away with it. I hate to, I hate to. Yeah, unfortunately, that it, it is a, it's not a good thing. I, I just, it, since it's been a month now, they may just have gotten away with it. Unfortunately. Well, ho- hopefully, one of our listeners will be able to uh, help you out, and if they can, they'll they'll call us or call the police and. Yeah, I, hopefully. I hopefully, I hopefully, I greatly hope so, and I appreciate it. Um, yeah, just be on the lookout, and it's amazing. Um, there are a lot of Twitter um, sites out there. It's amazing how many um, different forums have started, whether on Facebook or um, different bike forums that have started um, with regard to stolen bikes that I've become aware of recently. So I've been pretty impressed, but it seems to me that um, a lot of them seem to go unsolved. (laughs) Um, The people in California don't seem to be as interested. Um, I heard about a a person in Florida that had their red cat trike expedition stolen, and people, anybody that had a red cat trike and police saw them were pulling them over. Um, and checking serial numbers because somebody had written in and said, hey, in Florida, they're even pulling people over that just have them and checking them just because to see if somebody has it. Um, I don't know if anyone's doing that here. I haven't heard anything. Um, So who knows? I'm keeping my my eyes open. I haven't, and I haven't seen anything. I keep checking Craigslist. I I keep checking eBay. I've, you know, I I do the Google searches every other day to see if something pops up, but, you know, so far, no luck. But maybe this will be the answer. Maybe somebody out there will hear this and say, hey, my neighbor, or hey, I just saw one in the last couple weeks going down the street that I've never seen before. Well, we got the serial number. It's 669, right? Right. CTE for Cat Track Expedition, 669. All right, maybe somebody will see it. And it's it's just probably helpful for people to hear what it feels like for somebody to lose their bike that they, they put so much into. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, like I said, it's, you know, you never think of what kind of reaction. And, and like I said, you get that. <laughs> just walk by that spot that you walk by every day, and all of a sudden you do that double take that, wait a minute. Where's that bike? It's <laughs> supposed to be there, and it's just gone. And you know, and then all of a sudden you see a lock that's just there, and um, you just assume that it's going to be found, especially the kind of bike it is. They're just so few and far between. 
Uh, and but like every like I said, everyone's out there that on the different forums um, that have said that the forums have been very positive uh, in in telling me to keep my chin up. They're on the lookout, uh, so I'm keeping my fingers crossed. All right, Chris. Well, I hope that we have something uh, to report at some point. Yeah. Well, I'm keeping my fingers crossed. So anybody out there listening to um, the radio today, please, if you happen to see a, a recumbent trike that's red with a Made in the USA sticker on it, um, and it's new in your area, and you um, please take a second and talk to the person and find out maybe where they got it. It's an interesting trike. I'm constantly stopped on the street when I ride it, asking where it came from. So people that are riding them are used to people asking questions. So don't be afraid to ask them a question. Okay. Thanks so much. But I appreciate you taking the time to air the problem and, and see if we can maybe get an answer. Yep. And thank you. And thank we'll, you very much. We'll keep in touch on Facebook. Okay. okay. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good day. Bye. Okay, we're wrapping up the show. This has been Bike Talk. We've had some great interviews. You can hear us on the KPFK podcast, kpfk.org, Programs Bike Talk. We're usually up there by the Tuesday after we've had the show. And lately we've had some shows disappear from the archives. But we're working on getting them all back up and just working on the shows that we have coming up. If anyone has any ideas for promos for Bike Talk, like a little commercial, little 60-second or 30-second advertisement, they want those for KPFK. So maybe we can get together some ideas and come up with a great a great ad to let people know that we're on the air or on the web. So have a great week, and we'll be on again next week. And check us out on the podcast. This is KillRated.org, KPFK, Bike Talk. I-K-E-K-E-L-K-E-L-K-E-L-K-E-L-K-E-L-K-E-L-K-E-L-K-E-L-K-E-L-K-E-L-K-E-L-K-E-L-K-E-L-K-E-L-K-E-L-K-E-